Hey everybody, Adam Giardino with you, and it's time for another week and another episode of A Call Away. This week's episode, we've got a conversation with Rail Riders left-handed reliever Danny Coulomb. We've got an interview with Mike Talkman, outfielder for the New York Yankees, but now one of the outfielders for the Rail Riders. And we've also got producer of Yes Network's Homegrown, Blake Shear. She's joining us as one of the bonus interviews. As always, this week we've got broadcast banter with the voice of the Rail Riders here in AAA, Adam Marco. And we've got some reports from the lower levels of the minor leagues. Single A Charleston with Matt Dean, Double A Trenton with John Moses. It was a busy and action-packed week for Scranton Wilkes-Barre. It starts with a loss, it spans five straight wins, and then it wraps up with a loss on the other end, Memorial Day Monday, falling in the series finale in Syracuse. Tuesday was the 11-8 loss at the hands of the Pawtucket Red Sox. It was a game where the Paw Sox scored six runs in the first inning off of starter Drew Hutchison. And they never looked back, opening up an 8-1 lead in the top of the third inning. And though the Rail Riders rallied, never were quite able to get back even up against their IL North Division rival. But the next couple of days went to the Rail Riders. Tuesday featured Scranton Wilkes-Barre scoring runs in the second and the third inning, opening up a 2-0 lead for Raynell Espinal. The starter went four innings before handing off to the bullpen, and Stephen Tarpley then came in in the top of the fifth. He didn't allow a run in the top of the fifth, and that gave the Rail Riders an opening for some offense in the bottom half. Kyle Higashioka with a three-run homer, and Scranton Wilkes-Barre had a 5-0 lead. Pawtucket, a run top six, but then it was Trey Ambergie, really putting the nail in the coffin in the bottom of the sixth inning. First pitch to Ambergy is driven a deep left center field. That one's not going foul. Home run, Trey Ambergy to left center, a three-run shot. And the Rail Riders go on top 8-1. to one. An 8-1 lead at that point en route to an 8-6 victory. The following day, the Rail Riders won again, and it was an early lead again before Pawtucket could do much about it. It was 4-2 going into the bottom of the third inning. And after a flyout by Bravik Valera, Mike Talkman walked. Tyler Wade was hit by a pitch. And then it brought up Ryan LaVarnway. He's got just one this year. One out, runners at first and second. The 1-2 pitch, LaVarnway a swing and a fly ball. Right center field, up the gap. The outfielders just turn around, and it's gone to the berm. Make it 2 for Ryan LaVarnway and make it a third home run allowed by Smith here today. The Rail Riders open up a 7-2 lead in the bottom of the third. The tail of the tape spoke for 445 feet off the bat of LaVarnway to right center field. As mentioned, just his second home run of the year, but it was a big swing. It gave the Rail Riders a five-run lead from 5-2. It grew to 10-3 in the sixth inning and they moseyed their way back home with 10,000 strong on a school day in Scranton-Wilkes-Barre. Rail Riders took the finale and ultimately took two out of three from Pawtucket. So the team hits the road up to Syracuse, and the most dramatic of the wins in the five-game streak came on Friday night. The game entered the eighth inning with Syracuse leading 4-1. Rail Riders went up against Chris Mazza, who allowed just one run over seven innings on only three hits, but... In the eighth inning, the Rail Riders got it done against the bullpen. P.J. Conlon came in, allowed a home run to Ryan McBroom. He then loaded the bases and was pulled from the game. Joe Zangi came in, and the first batter he faced was Bravik Valera. 
There's one out. The bases are loaded. Nobody's being held on. The pitch to Valera. Swing and a fly ball. Right field to the party deck. It's gone! A go-ahead grand slam for Bravik Valera. And the Rail Riders have thundered ahead here in the top of the eighth. How about that? Ten games, five homer, and a signature moment for Valera here tonight. Down 4-1, the Rail Riders exited the top of the inning, leading 6-4. So they won the opener, and the next day, Scranton Wilkesbury came away with an absolutely wild 17-12 victory in a game that also featured a 99-minute rain delay. The game's final pitch was thrown at 12.05 a.m. The highlights in the game, Brad Miller, two two-run home runs, four hits from Bravik Valera, who hit another homer, and three hit performances from Ryan McBroom, Tyler Wade, and Mike Ford. We jump ahead to Sunday, and Scranton Wilkesbury and Syracuse were tied going into the seventh. Mike Ford came up, and he gave the Rail Riders a lead. Three balls and one strike. Slow windup. Caminero delivers. Swing and a fly ball right field by Ford. If it's fair, it's gone. It's gone. Down the line and over the party deck. Go ahead, Homer, for Mike Ford makes it 7-6 in the top of the seven. It's another rail rider in double-digit homers. Ford's got 10, keeping pace with his bash brother, Ryan McBroom, who's got 11. The next man up, Bravik Valera, and the very next pitch came up and in from Archimedes Caminero and got a piece of Valera. Here's the pitch. It's up and in, and the pitcher Caminero's been ejected as he throws over the top of Bravik Valera. You can't have that. Valera takes his base as he slowly watches out at Caminero. And one pitch after Ford homers. It goes up and in, and it hits Valera. And now Ford is jawing with some Syracuse Mets. Rail riders are hopping over the railing of the dugout, and the bullpens come on out. It's Logan Morrison who's the first to greet the Mets. And we've got contact, we've got a pile, and we've got a whole lot of pushing and shoving. Trey Ambergie's getting thrown around. Everyone's trying to get things separated and we're going to have to wait and see who ultimately gets ejected here. All told, Caminero was ejected. Danny Espinosa, the shortstop for Syracuse, was as well. And Logan Morrison ejected for Scranton Wilkesbury. The Rail Riders added two in the eighth, two in the ninth, and one 11-6. And then on Monday, Syracuse came away with a 9-5 victory over Scranton Wilkesbury. So a productive week for the Rail Riders, who start the new week with a lead in the IL North Division. They check in with a record of 26-20 and 20, with a small lead over the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, a AAA affiliate of the Philadelphia Phillies. In that wild win on Saturday, 17-12 victory for the Rail Riders where they had 17 runs on 19 hits. Syracuse rallied late, and in the bottom of the ninth inning, they had a couple men aboard. They brought David Thompson to the plate, and then Danny Coulomb bore down, got the final out via the strikeout, and picked up his first save in a Rail Riders uniform. It was also his first save as a member of the New York Yankees organization, and we wanted to know just that from Coulomb. How has 
the first month plus been in his life as a Yankee. You know, it's great. Um, I saw it in spring training first. It's just a first-class organization. I mean, they just treat you well. You feel like they care about you. And, you know, it's been, it's been good. Like I said, it's been up and down. You know, it's my first time on the injured list uh, in my whole career. So it was definitely something uh, I had to deal with. But, you know, I'm glad to be back. And what was the injury for our listeners? Kind of take us through what happened with that. Yeah, so um, something was pulling in the back of my shoulder. And, uh, you know, I hadn't had that before. So it's something that you never know if you're compensating for something that was going on in the front of your shoulder. But it ended up just being, ended up just being some bursitis. Uh, so it's something that I got a cortisone shot and uh, cleared it up and I'm good to go. Andy Coulomb, our guest here on the pregame show. So we're talking about this year. Let's yeah. take you back. You were drafted originally out of high school by the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah. You passed on that opportunity, then you went into college. You spent three years in college at three different places to begin things. So what was the decision for you to pass up on the Dodgers originally and go to USC? Well, you know, my family really values education. So un- unless it was life-changing money, you know, I didn't want to I didn't want to sign out of, out of high school. And, uh, you know, I got a pretty good offer, but... I mean, I'm, I'm 5'10", I'm not 6'5", you know, so sometimes you're not going to get as much. Uh, I had great numbers in high school. I was a good All-State player, but, uh, you know, I ultimately just decided to go to college. And, uh, you know, USC was great. I really liked the school and everything, but I, I was hurt there, actually. So I, had, I was actually having some shoulder injuries, and I, I only threw 50 innings in four years of college. So that's, a, I mean, if you do the math, that's like 12 innings a year. So I was never healthy. It was the craziest thing. So I went to South Mountain, threw two-thirds of an inning, blew up my lat, and then went to uh, Texas Tech and Tommy John and then had some complications from Tommy John in my last year there. But it was a crazy experience, and honestly, I thought I was going to uh, retire um, after Texas Tech. I, I even told him I was, I'd come back and finish school, and I don't need a scholarship or anything. I just wanted to come back and finish school and then maybe try to walk on the team in the spring. And the Dodgers drafted me, and I was like, this is the last chance I'm really going to have to play pro ball, so might as well try it out. 25th round pick who ended up making the big leagues. Yeah. When you were drafted, thinking about retirement before that, could you ever have thought that you would have been a big leaguer? Absolutely not. I always tell the story. So the first day in pro ball, you know, definitely in the lower levels, there's always guys that throw really, really hard. So the first guy that started, he ended up pitching the big leagues for a long time, but he was 95 to 98 as a right-handed pitcher. Like, he was our starter. And my when I was drafted, I was throwing 83-85. I, I remember just being like, I don't think I'm cut out for pro ball. And I remember I threw my first bullpen, didn't throw a strike. And our pitching coach was like, hey, man, can't go anywhere but up. And I went out there and punched out the side in my first inning there, and I got moved up. And I was like, okay, maybe I can do this. But my velocity started to kind of eventually climb, and by the time I was done there, I was about 90, 92. And so I was like, maybe I could do this. Did you have a welcome to the big league moment? I mean, obviously, as we described, you've overcome a lot, and a lot of things didn't put you on a pedestal to be that bona fide, destined to be a big leaguer guy. What was that first go-around in the big leagues like? It was special. I remember the day I got called up. So I actually got called up on September 18th, which was kind of weird, right? Mm-hmm. So it was after our playoffs, and I pitched really, really well in Double A. And I never, I went from high to the big leagues that year. And I remember uh, the first game I was up for, one of the historically worst starts in the history of baseball from our starting pitcher. So we were down like 11 nothing in the second inning. So I was like, I know, I'm pitching today, <laughs> you know. So like, oh, obviously you're hard. I remember, I remember I warmed up. It was in Coors Field, and I ran out of the pen. I'm like, I'm really doing this right now. Like I'm doing this. That was what I was thinking about. I'm doing this. Don't trip, don't trip. So I, I mean, I got out there and uh, I got a one-two-three inning. And I mean, I think the thing for me that was the best was I faced a guy that was in Triple A and Double A that year. So I had faced him. So it was kind of like, oh, okay, same guy. Let's you know. And I ended up striking him out. And I remember just being like, okay, maybe I can do this. And um, kind of how it went. 
All right, so we talked about your college days and just from our conversations off air before, you went to USC, but you're a Texas Tech guy now yes, through absolutely. and through to the point where when they made the championship game for men's basketball, you were talking to me about their other small sports that most people wouldn't even follow. How, how did that school spirit really build where you're not just a football basketball guy, but you're yeah. following every single yeah. team that they have? Well, you know, my wife's a big Tech fan. You know, her dad is. And actually, you know, I, I just, I really enjoyed my time in Lubbock. It was really fun to see a whole town come out to every game. And, you know, when I was at USC, we'd get 200, 300 people a game. I got to Lubbock, there were 7,000, 8,000 people a game, and you really cared. Like, it felt like a real, like, atmosphere. And I, I just thought it was really fun to support your team. And I really enjoyed my time there and made some great friends and obviously met my wife. And it's just fun to see the, the school do well. And they're doing well in everything but football right now. But we got a new coach, so we'll see what happens. You know, our ex-coach, now he's the head of the Arizona Cardinals, head coach for the Arizona Cardinals. Kind of crazy how that happened. And I'm a Cardinals fan, so I was like, wow. So it's just kind of full circle. But, no, it's it's been great. Yeah. All right, so you gave us the Cliff Kingsbury breakdown. Yeah. And uh, it's a month removed, so I'm going to leave with this. And I don't think – I think you've had some time to yeah. simmer on it. But what was your takeaway from that men's basketball run, which felt just – a little short of yeah. a national title. It was really fun to see that team perform, especially because they were they were supposed to get eighth or ninth in the Big 12. So just to see a team come, come together, and that coach is just, he's great. Everybody loves playing for him. You can see he's just, I don't know, it was really special to see that team do that. And, you know, they only have one national championship. So it would have been nice to get a second. But, I mean, hey, if they're competing every year for a national championship, you'd take that. Welcome back inside A Call Away. Adam Giardino with you, and it's time for broadcast banter. And that means, as always, we welcome the voice of the Rail Riders into the podcast. Adam Marco, another week. Good to see you again. Pleasure to be here. All right. We've got some hot topics to talk about, ones that have an effect on the big club or maybe could soon. A week or two ago, Yankee fans would have heard that Bravik Valera was claimed off of waivers from the San Francisco Giants. And at the time, it seemed like a puzzling move, and especially for our purposes with a guy that we knew was getting assigned to AAA. It seemed like in a logjam infield already with Mandy Alvarez, with Gosuke Kato playing well here. So those guys, at least at the time, down in AA, Bravik Valera arrives and not even two weeks later, he finds himself as the International League Player of the Week. It's the first time this season that a Rail Riders player has been honored by the International League for Player of the Week, and so very much deserved. Valera, from May 20th to May 26th, hit 522. Mm. He had four home runs, including one in three consecutive games. Uh, Twelve runs batted in. He played a great brand of defense. It was unbelievable to see a guy who was let go by the San Francisco Giants and factoring here for Scranton Wilkes-Barre just a week later. It's been fun to watch. It's been nice to have a guy like Bravik Valera, and I've compared him a little bit to what we saw out of Gio Urshela, and I think there are a couple of feelings that make me think that. One, remember when the Yankees got Urshela last year from the Toronto Blue Jays. He was in this ballpark. He went from one side to the other. We were down... I don't know how many men off the roster at that point in time right after the trade deadline that it was a warm body. And Urshela's now the starting third baseman, everyday guy for the New York Yankees. Gio came in, played very well for the club, hit near 300 for Scranton Wilkes-Barre over the last month of the season, and was a much-needed bat, not just a warm body. This time around, we did not need infielders. No. By any means. The club was 
boosted by infielders daily, it seemed, coming down from New York. You know, Tyler Wade, or we had Brad Miller, we had Logan Morrison, guys that are infielders in some capacity, can play other spots. But unbelievable, the the line of presence that Bravik Valera has given Jay Bell. I would not have told you that a guy claimed off of waivers who had not put together a very strong season so far was going to be etched into that three spot of the or he is there nearly daily now for Jay Bell. While out in California, he hit 257 for Sacramento over 24 games. It's not bad. A lot of these guys would take it. But since joining the Rail Riders, a 405 average, six home runs and 16 runs batted in since joining Scranton Wilkesbury. I mean, he's put together some incredible incredible numbers and when he was out in Sacramento maybe the one number when you see the 250 batting average he walked 16 times so that was a 400 on base percentage and he reached safely in 22 of 24 games with the River Cats but for him to come over and have six homers in 12 games you know a year ago in AAA he had six homers in 56 games so he's playing with house money here and it's been really fun to watch because, as we heard earlier in the podcast, these were some big home runs, including that go-ahead grand slam in the eighth inning against Syracuse. That helped kick off that series on Friday night, and uh, it's been one of those where in Cashman you trust because he's picking up these guys, Luke Voigt, you mentioned Gio Urshela, that seem to be AAA-type guys, and yet here they are doing really big things in AAA and probably helping up in the big leagues as well. Speaking of infielders for Scranton Wilkesbury, this week we are going to be treated, if the weather ever clears up, with Didi Gregorius in the lineup for Scranton Wilkesbury. He had his minor league rehab assignment transferred from High A Tampa up here to AAA. We record this on Wednesday. Yesterday we were postponed. We have an expected doubleheader a few hours from now and uh, that could also be affected by some rain that's in the forecast. But some way or another, we're going to see some D.D. Gregorius in the lineup. And uh, really, Adam, what is what is your expectation on what you're looking for uh, to, to see out of him? Well, I sat in yesterday as D.D. spoke to the local media here in Scranton-Wilkesbury, and he really thought he could have been with the big league club in April, maybe out of spring training. And the Yankees didn't necessarily see that same timeline. Gregorius had Tommy John surgery in October of last year and shut him down. He's trying to return eight months after having the surgery, which for a position player, the timeline is certainly a lot different than it would be for a pitcher, but you're still utilizing a lot of those same fundamentals, those same mechanics, maybe just not with quite as much force as a 95, 100-mile-an-hour fastball. So Gregorius thought he didn't need much more rehab time, and he said he's going to go out there, he'll play each day, and let the Yankees evaluate what they think they need from him to get him back to that major league level. He played two games down in Tampa. He went what, two for seven with a home run during his time, looking at playing probably seven innings and then get a couple of nine-inning games. I think the key for a guy who hasn't played yet this year really should be, can you go out and play two straight days, three straight days? You're working your way back from an injury, so maybe it's two days and then DH. The Yankees have the talent at the major league level, and they have the ability with DJ LeMahieu, Glaber Torres, Tyro Estrada, Gio Urshela, 
They don't necessarily need their starting shortstop back because of the defensive side. They have other guys they can place in the middle of the infield. It's getting his bat back into this lineup. It's getting that team a little bit closer to 100% health-wise. I don't think, as you know, you learn from Andujar, that he comes back, and if he's not right, you want to make sure that the guy can go out there and play five days a week, six days a week, then have that chance off. So I think the luxury the Yankees have is they want him back. Do they necessarily need him back? I don't think they're quite in that scenario just yet, but he will be a boon for this team if they can get him back in early June. Uh, at the latest now, it would be mid-June, barring any setbacks. So I think it's great that he is this far along. It's amazing how the procedure has changed from the 1970s, sure. 80s, 90s, how it's developed over the years. And really the turnaround time uh, speaks marvels about medicine these days as to the fact that he could have been playing in the postseason, bouncing some throws to first base, and really only missed two months of the next major league season. That speaks volumes about the type of athlete, the type of commitment he has, and really how things have progressed in the last 15, 20, 30 years. Right, because the Yankees and their fans a year ago would have looked at Glaber Torres, someone who toured the UCL, had that Tommy John surgery on his glove arm. It wasn't on his throwing arm. It wasn't in his right elbow. It's his left elbow. So even that timeline should have been a little different, and it is. It's still so remarkable what Didi Gregorius is, is going to do. We speculate often during our broadcasts about what the trickle-down effect will be. And just today, we saw with James Paxton coming off the disabled list, the trickle-down effect to the AAA Rail Riders is that Joe Harvey gets transferred down here. He gets optioned to uh, to AAA. What is that trickle-down effect going to be in your mind when D.D. Gregorius gets, gets healthy and gets activated by the Yankees? And you're still also thinking the next step at least I am you still have Giancarlo Stanton maybe sometime soon you've got Aaron Judge who just started hitting off a tee so as much as I look at performance and look at the last couple of weeks part of me wants to say and you hear a lot now you read a lot on social media about Clint Frazier as being a possibility he had a hot start he got hurt I don't think he's quite been in the last couple of weeks what he was the first few weeks it's still Tyro Estrada it has been Tyro Estrada, no matter who we've talked about that counter move being, because Estrada is the guy that's getting that once a week or that twice a week. He is somebody that's still young enough that needs to be playing every day. So I think that is the move. When you get an infielder back, you send Estrada back. And then when you get to Stanton, when you get to Judge, when you get back around to CC, then the thought changes. But right now, I still think it's Tyro Estrada because he doesn't get to play enough, and he could be down here as an everyday player for scranton Wilkesbury. Not that his play at the big league level merits this whatsoever. He deserves to. He has played his way into that role. But you're getting another big league player, another all-star caliber player back. I think you need Estrada playing every day. Right. He comes into today batting 304 with New York, so somebody that you're not sending him down because he's hitting a buck 80. And remember, this time last year, the Yankees had a very similar decision to make, and they sent Ronald Torres down. He was one of the best hitters in April and May for New York. Torres is now playing against the Rail Riders for the Rochester Red Wings. That They're not afraid to make that difficult decision. They need the guys at the big league level that they see contributing on a daily basis, and 
Not that Torres wasn't, not that Estrada isn't. Tyro at least has that benefit of still being young and still needing, you know, seasoning at AAA. Remember, he's a guy that barely played here last year. He's barely played here this year. Estrada's the move for me. Last thing we'll talk about here during broadcast banter with the voice of the Real Riders, Adam Marco, is just I want your take on a guy that the Yankees signed. He was injured during the offseason. They stashed him in extended spring training. He's worked hard. He's come here to AAA. And Logan Morrison is finally finding that extra base stroke for the Rail Riders. And just what are your eyeball impressions on what you're seeing from the 31-year-old? Morrison is clearly a big league caliber bat. And facing off against AAA pitching this year, I think, doesn't necessarily do a justification. He struggled in the majors last year with Minnesota. And... It's really an opportunity for him. You know, you look at the Yankees' roster, and he didn't sign prior to spring. He didn't sign during spring. He signed after the season started. I think you look at the roster, the injuries, the fact that you can play first base, you could run to the outfield, which we haven't seen yet, but you have that multifaceted player. I think it's an opportunity for Morrison to sign with a club that, could send him up to the big leagues and he could factor and maybe win a World Series title. So I think it was a good fit for him. I think it was a decent fit for the New York Yankees. And much like we saw with Gio Gonzalez, because we have we can't have a broadcast banter without mentioning sure. Gio Gonzalez. Yeah. Remember Gio didn't have spring training. So he had, you know, two starts in spring. It wasn't until his third start with the Rail Riders, second to third start with the Rail Riders, where he was shining and you remembered why he was an all-star at the Major League level. I think you look at Logan Morrison, you look at Brad Miller, guys that didn't have that traditional spring training that now you're going to see in June, late May, June, that these bats are going to come alive, especially facing off against, at times, not always, but at times, some subpar AAA pitching. Adam Marco, never subpar at AAA when you're around. Thank you very much for joining us on Broadcast Banter. Always a pleasure. Well, talking about a guy in Bravik Valera and Logan Morrison, two guys that might someday help the New York Yankees up at the big league level, especially here in 2019, we'll transition into a conversation we had with a guy who already has helped the New York Yankees in 2019. Mike Talkman was added in a trade towards the end of spring training as injuries piled up for the Yankees in their outfield. And as we caught up with Mike Talkman earlier this week, there was a crazy travel story about him arriving with the Rail Riders and then getting turned right back around and sent to New York as the 26th man in a doubleheader. And we wanted to know all about that travel story. You know, drove down to Indianapolis Tuesday morning and, you know, went in, met Jay, and then he, you know, kind of told me that I'd fly back to New York for the uh, doubleheader. And, uh, you know, so kind of just, you know, went with that and you know played a couple games up there and you know flew back to uh met up with the team in Toledo and uh you know I had a double header uh that day and just a lot of baseball but uh it was good you know it was it was kind of crazy but you know it's just kind of a it's kind of you know goes with the territory and try and make the best of it changing organizations for the first time this year going from Colorado to the Yankees what has that transition been like for you and and what did you find was was kind of the most challenging part um it was great um I mean transition wise you know it's always uh weird when you have you know when you're kind of in a 
you know, I was with the Rockies for a long time and then coming over here. But, um, you know, the transition was made very easy by the guys in the clubhouse uh, in New York. And, uh, you know, the guys here have been great, um, you know, to this point. So, you know, they've made that transition a lot easier for me. Um, you know, but just meeting a lot of new people and kind of just getting used to the, uh, you know, the culture of the Yankees organization. But it's been great. Just to let uh, some of the fans get to know you a little bit, obviously from Illinois, went to Bradley University, which I, I'm guessing close to home. But what kind of went into to that? And, and what was it like to, to kind of go to, a, I guess, a smaller school in a smaller conference, but still be known as one of the better players and, and obviously end up getting drafted out of there? Um, you know, I, I, uh, they were kind of just one of the teams that recruited me, um, kind of from day one. So, uh, I really liked, um, the, uh, the situation there in terms of the, uh, facilities that they had. And I thought that it was somewhere that I could, you know, get some playing time and, uh, you know, turn myself into a better baseball player. And, uh, you know, they kind of afforded me that opportunity. Um, and... You know, I had a really positive experience. Uh, it was about like three hours from home, so you know, it was far enough away, but it wasn't super far away, which really was it didn't it didn't um, you know impact my decision that much. Uh, I just wanted to play some more baseball, so um, you know, going there it was obviously uh, you know overwhelmingly positive experience. Here on the pregame show with Rail Riders outfielder Mike Tuckman, there's a story that might have seen online about you going up against Jimmy Garoppolo as a quarterback in high school and leading a comeback. Is that is that a a true thing? And, and how much do you remember about that game? I mean, it's accurate. Um, I mean, I, I it's kind of one of those things where it's like, it's kind of sometimes a little silly to talk about because it's like, you know, I don't want to seem sound like I'm like some guy at an Applebee's bragging about like striking out Mike Trout when he was like eight years old. Like it doesn't really mean that, you know, obviously Jimmy has got a lot, lot better since then and is, you know, to be able to play in the NFL. And so that's, you know, but once upon a time, a long, long time ago, yes, I was, we competed against each other. And, you know, that day my team came out on top. Obviously the, the long-term goal has got to be getting back to the major leagues again, but, you made the opening day roster out of spring training. What was that like? To was that the first time in your career that that you would kind of come out of spring training on the big league team? Uh, no, I made a team before uh, with the Rockies in 2018. Um, didn't have a lot of success though, so I wasn't up there very long. Um, it was, I mean, it was, uh, you know, anytime you know you get traded for, and you know, I kind of view it as a good thing that somebody, uh, you know, took notice of you know, what I'd kind of done, um, in my career and to get that opportunity was amazing. And then, um, you know, just to contribute to a team, you know, like the Yankees, you know, obviously the team's playing really well and, um, to even feel like, you know, I was a small part of that's, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for that opportunity. And, um, you know, my time here, I'm just planning on, you know, continuing to try to hone my craft and sharpen my skills so that if the opportunity comes up again, I can contribute again. At this point, is it something where the Yankees are saying to you, like, hey, we want you to go to Scranton and work on this and that in your game? Or is it just kind of go keep playing, getting at bats, and then when that opportunity arises, you know, take advantage of it? Yeah, you know, I don't want to speculate. Um, there's obviously, you know, the uh, the Yankees have been, um, you know, had some unfortunate, you know, injury situations this year, which I think, you know, gave a lot of guys an opportunity up there. Um 
So, you know, as those guys come back, there's going to have to be guys that uh, go down, um, you know, and come here. So that's just, that's just you know, kind of the nature of the beast. Um, I think the important thing for me is just to um, continue to try to uh, maintain my skills, you know, in all three outfield spots and just keep, you know, putting together good at-bats and, you know, kind of just getting those everyday at-bats too, like uh, you mentioned, stay sharp. So when, when and if the opportunity arises, um, as prepared as I can be. Back inside, a call away. Big thanks to Mike Talkman for joining us earlier this week. And we've got a bonus interview, as promised earlier in the podcast. Homegrown is in its third year covering the Scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders day to day. Every couple of weeks, we get an updated episode with all the comings and goings, the happenings with Scranton Wilkesbury. And the producer running the show, she's in her third year helping run the show. It's Blake Shear. Ever talented, not only does production work for Homegrown, but does Homegrown for the G League, so the Brooklyn Nets team on Long Island. She helped get that off the ground this year. And Blake also does a ton of production work just day-to-day with the New York Yankees and the Brooklyn Nets as well. So Blake was our pregame guest over the weekend. And the first thing we wanted to know from her is how different is it covering a team in year three versus years one and two that she's had a chance to work with the Rail Riders. You thought that it would be hard, you know, mm-hmm. coming into the season and not knowing that many people are trying to come up with new storylines. Mm-hmm. But, nope, as always, the players have been wonderful. Whole new cast of characters with some of the right people you've gotten to know. But it's sort of each season evolves. And where two years ago Mike Ford was just someone yeah. is part of the infield, now he's one of the stars who got his first major league call-up. Or Joe Harvey, who you saw partially last season, really came in and surprised everyone made it to the big league. So each season is something different. And as always, there's new guys coming up within the organization who you're excited about. People that are listening to this will have seen a couple of episodes that have already aired. You mentioned Joe Harvey, Mike Ford. There's footage of them out in San Francisco. So from a behind-the-scenes perspective, how do you coordinate that to make it look so seamless, even though I don't think you went out to San Francisco on a working vacation? So I was going out to San Francisco to field produce for the team to do, bring Meredith Morakovitz out into McCovey's Cove. And it was coincidence that those two guys were still with the team. And I was like, hey, texted them. They were always great and give me their numbers so we're able to coordinate things. I was like, hey, do you have like five minutes before you go to a game? And they're like, we'll love to. And so literally that shoot was 15 minutes right before they walked into the ballpark. And it was super simple. How does the editing process go how much of what we see is part of the greater hours and hours of filming that actually takes place each episode is about three days with the team all depending on timing and schedule wise but it's three days and it's about 20 i would say 15 to 20 hours of footage all together with all these tidbits and i go through everything in the office and sort of just the story tells itself you really don't have to do much most times i don't walk into things planned just because It's baseball, just like everyone knows. Time, weather, people getting called up, called down. So it's just super easy. And like I said, the story just tells itself. These guys' lives are interesting and fans want to see. And I was a fan, so this is what I would want to say. Blake Shear, producer for Homegrown in its third season, covering the scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders and the guys heading up to the big leagues. You mentioned the familiar faces with Kill Kosho. Even yesterday, Brady Lill gets added back to the roster. Uh, Zach Zaner is somebody that's been on a bunch. Who are some of the new guys that have been exciting that you didn't know anything about, you had never interacted before, but are people that have been pretty good to, to put on TV? 
This year I've been most excited and like unexpectedly excited of getting to know Gosuke Kato. And he's not with the team now, but Mandy Alvarez was a pleasure. Those guys came in with so much energy and just excitement surrounding them. And they were just excited to be here and learn. And so those are some of the best moments is just seeing with these guys with the coaches and learning. And those were two guys that were great and had a great relationship with Jay. So they're all really comfortable together. You mentioned Jay Bell, and now this is year three for you. It's been three different managers over three different years. So how has that dynamic changed what you guys try to do in the clubhouse? We've been so fortunate that each manager has really sort of embraced us. And it's not really a familiar place to have cameras in a clubhouse, but each manager has been wonderful and accepting and getting to know these guys just like they get to know me. So it's just getting to know Jay and the rest of the staff. Having Doug and Tommy and Phil and returning coaches really helps the manager, really helps the manager trust me. But I can't ask for anything more. Jay's been great this season. Blake Shear, our guest here on the pregame show. We're talking about homegrown in terms of what it means for the New York Yankees. But this past year, there was an opportunity to dive into the Brooklyn Nets with that Yes Network relationship. So how did that go on the minor league side of professional basketball this year? Well, it was wonderful. Our head of Yes Network, John J. Filippelli, always wanted to make a brand out of homegrown. An opportunity came with our other partners, the Brooklyn Nets, to put, cover their G League. And it was such a unique experience. And baseball players and basketball players are similar, but so different. And it was really great to see that. And I traveled with the Brooklyn Nets for a few years, so that was great to be able to show that organization and how wonderful they are to the fans. When I think about baseball versus basketball, the number one difference in terms of the team, the roster size, you're working with so many fewer guys and so many fewer faces that over the course of a baseball season, you have 40, 50, 60 guys to pull stories from. How did it go from a storytelling perspective when you didn't necessarily have that revolving door of a roster? Well, we were fortunate enough that the Nets really relied on their G League team a lot. So we got two call-ups, which is something we weren't anticipating at all. And then our two-way players, Alan Williams and Theo Pinson, were really great. And all these guys had a unique story. They were all huge stars in college. So this was, you know, this is gravy telling those stories. They all had something, if not one or two stories to tell. And they were just so welcoming to the cameras. Thank you, Blake. And now next up. We've got our weekly segment where we check in on the different levels of the minor leagues, where we've got reports from single-A Charleston with Matt Dean and double-A down in Trenton with John Moses. All right, Matt, take it away. With this look at the Charleston River Dogs, I'm Matt Dean. The River Dogs enter play Sunday having gone three and four in the last week, seeing their first place lead in the Southern Division trimmed down to just a game with still three weeks left to go in the first half. Despite mixed results as of late, the River Dogs offense has stayed consistent, averaging five and a half runs per game over their last 28 contests. Outfielder Josh Stowers has been one of the steadying presences towards the top of Charleston's lineup this year and has begun to tap into his power stroke lately, crushing his first five home runs all in the last 11 games. Stowers talked this week about where his power stroke has been coming from as of late. Just from working on making some adjustments uh, with our hitting coach and just uh, staying on my backside and not uh, leaking forward too early. Just pretty pretty much just using my legs and uh, getting the power from the ground up. And uh, the swings I've been taking haven't been like, you know, me selling out for home runs, just me bailing up balls and they're traveling. So the former second-round pick, acquired by the Yankees in a December three-team deal that sent Sonny Gray to Cincinnati, has really hit his stride of this new organization, slashing 293, 378, 480 entering play Sunday and leading Charleston with 12 stolen bases. While the power has started to come around, it's his all-around game and particularly speed that can impact games. 
I really don't look at the signs too much just because Julio's already told me that I have the green light. Just from coming from like a base deal and collegiate program at Louisville, I know like what counts and stuff to run it and what I'm looking for from uh, certain pitchers. With this look at the River Dogs, I'm Matt Dean. With the Trenton Thunder, I'm John Moses. The Thunder spent this week trading first and second place in the standings and enter play on Sunday evening at 28 and 18, leading the Binghamton Rumble Ponies by a half game in the Eastern Division. Infielder Hoi Jun Park has been one of the most consistent bats in Trenton's order since joining the team on the team's opening road trip in Akron. A season after leading the Florida State League in on-base percentage, Park enters play on Sunday, second in the league in batting average with a 323 mark, which he attributes to a slightly different approach at the plate. Uh, yeah, actually, last couple of years, I was I was take I took a lot of pitches on the iPad, but for these years, I'm trying to like more aggressive. They trying to hit a first pitch, just trying to be like, aggressive on the like swinging on the ball. With the Trenton Thunder. I'm John Moses. That is going to do it for us this week on A Call Away. Thanks for making us part of your week yet again. If you want to make the Rail Riders part of your week, you can join Adam, Marco, and me with pregame coverage beginning 30 minutes before every game. You can catch all of the action on the Rail Riders radio network, the TuneIn Radio app, and on the MILB First Pitch app as well. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I'm at... Adam Giardino, G-I-A-R-D-I-N-O. Again, thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you again soon.